Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The seventh Sunday after Trinity, Mark 8, 1 to 9. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In our Savior, dearly beloved hearers, a true Christian is a far different person than most imagine. If their opinion is high, most suppose that a Christian differs from others only because he guards himself against all gross sins, associates with Christians, withdraws from all worldly amusements, hears, reads, and speaks of God's word more diligently than of other things, and always trusts Christ. This is an absolute false picture. A person can do all this without even being a true Christian. The Apostle Paul writes, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Galatians 6, verse 15. A true Christian is a new person. He is a person whose heart, state of mind, intellect, and all powers the Holy Spirit has converted and transformed. This change shows itself clearly in a new attitude towards sin. First of all, he wants to know what God's Word calls sin. He hates and fears every sin, even the least of sins. Be it a sin indeed, or in words, or in bearing, or in thoughts and wishes. Whenever he awakens in the morning, his greatest concern is to guard himself against every sin in the course of the day lying ahead of him. Though the sin may appear ever so small and excusable, whenever he is tempted in the course of the day, he thinks with Joseph, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39.9 One important sign of true Christians is that not only do they not want to become rich or merely obtain something through sin, they would rather suffer the greatest loss than burden their conscience with something sinful. If, for example, they were given counterfeit money or something faulty was fraudulently sold them, they do not seek to make their loss good by returning it as quickly as possible. They prefer to suffer the loss rather than commit sin. If, in a certain case, merely a doubt exists as to whether they can make a profit without sinning, they are not satisfied with that probability. Either they must be absolutely certain, or if not, they choose to forget about the profit without conferring with flesh and blood. As their advisors, they do not seek those who have a free and easy conscience. They consult those who are in earnest in such matters and sharpen their conscience, not to mention that they should secretly hate them 
because of their pitiless earnestness, as often happens with false Christians. In the matter of earthly gain, true Christians proceed on the principle, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Matthew sixteen twenty six. If by shrewd speculation they could gain the whole world, but burden their conscience just a bit, or if by a sin easily justified before men, they could avoid a great loss. They view the matter as a trap, which has been laid for them by the world, flesh, and Satan. They flee from it as from the gaping jaws of hell. That is why the world considers Christians fools and madmen. But what of it? In eternity, we will see who was the wisest. I fear many a hypocrite will then wish that he could hide his gain, to which sin clings like an indelible stain from God's eyes. Sinful gain will hang like a heavy stone around his neck. It will draw him down forever into the abyss of hell, the portion of all hypocrites. On the other hand, he who for God's sake refused even doubtful gain and joyfully suffered loss for conscience' sake will in eternity see it turned into eternal riches. However, my friends, not only would a true Christian decline the most tempting gain, not only would he suffer the severest loss rather than sin, but he would also do that rather than be deprived of some spiritual blessing. And permit me now to speak to you about this in greater detail. Mark 8, 1-9 In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about four thousand people, and he sent them away. So far, our text. This gospel gives me occasion today to present this thought. Christians gladly sacrifice temporal things to acquire spiritual things. I will show you that they do this and how gladly they do this. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you know that we, have, we live in a time and in a land where people slave day and night to become rich in those goods that are perishable and transitory. Because of them, they forget the goods that are real and eternal. Alas, how many are they who had you, but because of them lost you? You who came into this world in order to bring heavenly possessions, oh, therefore in this hour, bless us in all the preaching of your word. May it work in us that heavenly mind, which seeks first your kingdom and righteousness, that for the sake of your heavenly treasures, it gladly does 
without the fleeting goods of the world. Hear us for your own sake. Amen. In today's text, we see the people filled with a zeal for God's word, such as is never again pictured in the Gospels. As we see from the context, Christ had returned to Galilee from a side trip to the heathen cities of Tyre and Sidon. With his disciples, he had climbed a mountain in the desert region near the Sea of Galilee. What happened? It was the hot time of the year. Yet great numbers of people at once flocked to Christ, partly to have their sick healed, partly to hear his word. Some even came from great distance. Not only men came, but also women many of whom were not even hindered by their infants. They began the difficult journey into desolate, desolate, waterless, mountainous regions in the heat of the sun. Without pondering much upon it, they took their little children along. Thus it was that the audience increased like a flood until there were 4,000 men, women and children not even being counted. Christ began preaching. The day passed quickly, in hearing the word of eternal life. The evening came, but no one made preparations to go home. In order to hear Christ again on the next day, all were gladly content with a night's lodging on the hard ground under the open sky. Yes, even on the second day, they could not leave Christ. They held out until the third. Now, however, great distress arose. Perhaps not even suspecting that they would stay with Christ so long, The people had taken only a little food along. Despite their frugality at mealtime, these few possessions now were finally gone. According to one's reason, it appeared as if the people in their zeal for God's word had gone too far. One would think, from where should the many thousands get food here in the middle of the desert? Or how would they be able to return to their homes without food for the difficult journey? You see, the danger was great. The Lord himself said, If I send them away to their homes, they will faint on the way. My friends, in these people, we have an actual example from which we learn how they act, who no longer are driven by their flesh, but by the Spirit of God, who, in brief, have become Christians. How do they act? Far be it that true Christians should prefer to sin than suffer loss of earthly things. They would rather lose such earthly things than do without things spiritual. False Christians also want to cling to and serve Christ, but only insofar as they can do it without special sacrifice of time, money, rest, comfort, honor, and other earthly things. They, for example, consider it sheer enthusiasm and folly to be less concerned about becoming rich in earthly goods just to enjoy the spiritual more. Nor do they want to be scorners of God's word. But if they should have to travel far for it, if they should suffer somewhat in the summer from heat and sultry air, if they should at times sit in church a little longer, and if it were only as many hours as the people spent days with Christ, they consider this a great demand. They seek either in a feasible, respectable way to evade their duty, or they fulfill it reluctantly just so they can pass as Christians. Then they look on themselves as great martyrs. The true Christian is far different. His new life consists just in this, that in any case he prefers spiritual to bodily, eternal to temporal, heavenly to earthly things. 
He therefore gladly loses some of the earthly, if thereby he gains spiritually. Not because he thinks he must act that way, but because he wants to. Not because he is outwardly, but inwardly forced. Not because he thinks he could not otherwise escape hell and enter heaven, but because preferring things spiritual, he can do nothing else. Just like the people who were awakened by God's Spirit, true Christians gladly sacrifice a part of their time and their chance for earthly gain in order to hear and study God's Word. To attain this goal, they gladly endure some hardship, sacrificing rest and comfort for it. A true Christian gladly gives up a profitable calling if it affords too little time to nourish his soul. He chooses a calling in which he earns less, yes, must perhaps be a servant instead of a master, just so he can have more spiritual advantages. A really earnest Christian never leaves his homeland and goes into another country just to become rich. However, He readily leaves the place where he already has great prospects for becoming rich to go to a place where he does not have this prospect if he sees more advantages for his soul and the souls of his children there. A true Christian shows his attitude toward earthly things, his generous support of the poor and the purposes of God's kingdom. The richer he becomes, the more abundant and the greater become his gifts. In his giving, He worries so seldom that, as the people of Israel in our text, through his zeal for the spiritual, he at times is in great difficulty. Yes, in the pressing danger of lacking the necessities of life. In short, a true Christian considers all earthly gain for loss if it takes some spiritual things from him. On the other hand, he considers every earthly loss as gain if thereby he benefits spiritually. That is the way a true Christian thinks and acts. Permit me now, in the second place, to speak to you on how gladly he does this. Driven by the Holy Spirit, the people, yes, even women with delicate children among them, undertook a distant journey. In the burning heat, they sought out Christ in the midst of a barren, uninhabited wilderness to hear his word. Many who also wanted to remain with Christ might have called these zealous people insane fools. If those who deemed themselves wise and pious had been present, as the people in men's eyes endangered their lives through their zeal to hear God's word most richly, beyond a doubt they would have said, There you see where excessive piety leaves. Who can feel sorry for you fools? You have foolishly incurred your misfortune yourselves. Though false saints may think so, Christ did not. He was truly pleased at the zeal of the people. When they lacked food, he did not say that it served them right. They were thoughtless, showing excessive desire for God's word. No, he said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. However, Christ was not satisfied merely to express his innermost love. He commanded them to sit down, as it were, at an empty table. The people, strengthened in faith through his preaching, obeyed and actually sat down at Christ's empty table without doubting and murmuring. And what happened? Christ took the disciples' last remaining seven loaves and a few fish into his hand, 
Those hands into which the Father had given everything, gave thanks, that is, set a blessing over them, broke the supply into pieces, and gave it to the disciples for distribution. And behold, under Christ's blessing, the food miraculously multiplied. He distributed it until the very last of the hungry thousands was satisfied. Yes, seven baskets full of fragments remained. Thus satisfied in body and soul, strengthened and refreshed, they leave. God alone knows how many owe their comfort of their whole life and family, their eternal salvation, to the three days Christ nourished their souls and bodies. While some of those supposedly wise who remained at home languished on their journey through the desert of this life and were lost. My friends, just as these people sacrificed much in order to hear Christ, so all true Christians gladly sacrifice the temporal for the spiritual. Though the world may consider them fools, even hypocrites, because they often forget earth for heaven and neglect to care for the body in seeking the things of the Spirit, nevertheless, they do well to do this. First of all, they are just for that reason, the world and false Christians may believe it or not, the beloved of their God and Savior, who looks on them with pleasure. But who can be more fortunate than he who has God on his side, though the whole world be against him? As the Apostle says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 With malicious joy, the world sees that, in general, zealous Christians are not prosperous. Yes, they are often in distress. Why? They do not want to use any sinful means to enrich themselves or they use too much of their time to feed their souls, have too much to give for their poor brothers and sisters and the purposes of God's kingdom. Nevertheless, they are very wise in doing this. Christ looks upon their poverty and temporary distress with the deepest pity. He values everything greatly, even the last privation which they take upon themselves for spiritual reasons. He repays them a hundredfold, even here in heavenly comfort, strength, and refreshment, leading them wonderfully through all distress so that they always have what they need. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. The old German proverb proves true. Church-going does not delay one. Giving does not impoverish. If we want to see quite clearly how wise Christians are because they sacrifice the temporal for the spiritual, we must cast a glance into eternity. Whoever here denies himself spiritual things rather than temporal will see the results of his sparse sowing in the harvest of that world in all eternity. On the other hand, whoever gladly sacrifices temporal for spiritual things will find each self-denial, even the least, which is here exercised as capital that God deposited for him for which God pays him eternal interest in heaven, wherein this interest will consist, no eye has yet seen, neither ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. But it will be greater than can be measured, more than can be paid, more precious than be compared with anything earthly. All of you, therefore, who have preferred heavenly for earthly things, and for that reason have journeyed through this world like pilgrims, be on your guard, 
that your heart is not snared by earthly things. Hold on. The journey is soon over. And then, for poverty, for Christ's sake, will follow riches. For renunciation, enjoyment. For humility and contempt, honor and majesty. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.